Welcome to Take This Poem Podcast, where we explore the rich, wild things that good poems can do in the everyday lives of ordinary folks. I'm your host, Mary Guidis. Whether you're a longtime poetry lover like I am, or just barely interested, I invite you to take this poem. I hope it amends the soil of your life. Hello. I have a Marie Howe poem today, and it's the third one by her that I've shared so far on this show. But the name of this poem has been stuck in my head, as well as the thoughts and ideas that the poem holds, and I wanted to share it. It's called What the Living Do, and in my little community recently, there's been a significant amount of mourning for people who have suddenly died and are gone. People who, in our human wisdom, we would have thought were just at the beginning and just getting started in their learning and loving and legacy leaving, and now it seems like that earthly story is at an end, and it's hard to wrap our minds around that. So I keep going through my little daily routine and thinking this phrase, what the living do. This is what the living do. And so I thought, Why not share it? The poem mentions the name Johnny, and that's Marie Howe's brother, who died of AIDS. And she has a lot of poems about that time, being with him at the end. And this one was written after his death. What the Living Do Johnny, the kitchen sink has been clogged for days. Some utensil probably fell down there. And the draino won't work, but smells dangerous. And the crusty dishes have piled up, waiting for the plumber I still haven't called. This is the everyday we spoke of. It's winter again. The sky's a deep, headstrong blue, and the sunlight pours through the open living room windows because the heat's on too high in here and I can't turn it off. For weeks now, driving or dropping a bag of groceries in the street, the bag breaking, I've been thinking, this is what the living do. And yesterday, hurrying along those wobbly bricks in the Cambridge sidewalk, spilling my coffee down my wrist and sleeve, I thought it again, and again later when buying a hairbrush. This is it. Parking. Slamming the car door shut in the cold. What you called that yearning what you finally gave up. We want the spring to come and the winter to pass. We want whoever to call or not call, a letter, a kiss. We want more and more and then more of it. But there are moments, walking, when I catch a glimpse of myself in the window glass, say the window of the corner video store, and I'm gripped by a cherishing so deep for my own blowing hair, chapped face and unbuttoned coat, that I'm speechless. I am living. I remember you. Wow, this poem does a lot of work in a small amount of space. I'll read it again at the end so you'll have a better chance to hear it, but I just wanted to share some of the things that I notice that I think makes this so powerful to me. I think it captures that painful thing 
where you lose someone or something big happens and you all of a sudden notice how mundane, how almost absurdly mundane your daily to-do list is. How can it be that you're having to deal with Drano and clogged pipes when someone you love is gone? Drano is an ugly word and she mentions the ugly smell and I mean, there's really nothing much worse than dealing with plumbing problems, is there? So that's where the poem begins. The everyday, not just the everyday, but the frustrating everyday. Another thing I love about this poem is she's alive and she has her body, but there's so much discomfort. There's so much hot and there's so much cold. Her apartment's too hot, but it's winter outside and the wind is cold, but her coat's unbuttoned because her coat got a little bit too warm and it just keeps going back and forth, it seems, from being a little too cold and a little too hot. And she's the one alive again with a body and thus is experiencing this discomfort as she moves her way through her day, tripping and spilling her coffee and having all these inconveniences while she holds her brother in her mind through it all. And of course, she mentions that to be alive is to be yearning, to always be wanting something to come or go. Wanting more, always wanting something. It almost seems like there's a tiny bit of envy for the rest and the freedom from wanting and the freedom from discomfort that she seems to suggest her brother has. But then in the end, she catches sight of herself, her reflection in a window, and can't help feeling a surge of affection for her bodily self. Almost a triumph, it feels like to me, to be so alive, to have your hair flying about. And by the way, you should look up a picture of Marie Howe. She has the most amazing hair ever in heaven. That's what my hair is going to look like. So... Google her picture and um, I have a feeling that her that hair blowing around is probably quite a nuisance most of the time. There's a lot of it. But in this moment, heightened by the loss of her brother, she can't help loving the mess, the dishevelment, the too hot, the too cold because she's alive and by being alive is able to remember the one who's gone. I'm going to read this again. What the Living Do by Marie Howe Johnny, the kitchen sink has been clogged for days. Some utensil probably fell down there. And the Drano won't work but smells dangerous. And the crusty dishes have piled up waiting for the plumber I still haven't called. This is the everyday we spoke of. It's winter again. The sky's a deep, headstrong blue, and the sunlight pours through the open living room windows because the heat's on too high in here and I can't turn it off. For weeks now, driving or dropping a bag of groceries in the street, the bag breaking, I've been thinking, this is what the living do. And yesterday, hurrying along those wobbly bricks in the Cambridge sidewalk, Spilling my coffee down my wrist and sleeve, I thought it again. And again later, when buying a hairbrush. This is it. Parking, slamming the car door shut in the cold. What you called that yearning. 
what you finally gave up. We want the spring to come and the winter to pass. We want whoever to call or not call, a letter, a kiss. We want more and more and then more of it. But there are moments walking when I catch a glimpse of myself in the window glass, say the window of the corner video store, and I'm gripped by a cherishing so deep for my own blowing hair, chapped face and unbuttoned coat that I'm speechless. I am living. I remember you. I have a spontaneous bonus poem for you. Another one about what the living do. While I really like this poem, it wasn't one that I had been thinking that I would share on this podcast, partly because it has some cusses in it. Not only cusses, but taking the Lord's name in vain, which I don't condone. But this is about loss and grieving today. And this is somebody else's words about how he is processing the loss of his friend and if he has some repenting to do after that. Fair enough, and so be it. I thought there was enough beauty and truth here for it still to be worth sharing. This poem's called Ray by Hayden Carith. I had it on an audio CD with the poet himself reading it that I kept in my car for many years. I highly recommend you trying to find a recording of that. Maybe I'll even leave a link. It was one that did ambush me. I had heard it many times and it went in one ear and out the other. And then one evening really jumped out at me and moved me. There's something really pathetic about crying and eating a sweet at the same time, which is what happens in this poem. Have you ever seen a child crying and eating an ice cream cone? It just seems wrong somehow. And yet this old man in the poem finds himself in that situation. And I found it to be, again, so pathetic, but it rang so true and moved my heart for this picture of grief. And it talks about, sort of like the Marie Howe poem, that what the living do is remember the people who are gone with joy, with sorrow, but that we still have bodies and have to eat and sometimes the food even tastes good. I'm just going to read this one time. It's about the poet's friend, Raymond Carver, who was a fiction writer and poet and was married to Tess Gallagher, who's also a poet. And it mentions her name here. That's why I'm giving this little bit of background information. So this is one poet writing in memorial of another. Ray by Hayden Carith. How many guys are sitting at their kitchen tables right now, 1.30 in the morning, this same time, eating a piece of pie? That's what I wondered. A big piece of pie, because I'd just finished reading Ray's last book. Not good pie, not like my mother or my wife could have made, but an ordinary pie I'd just bought, being alone at the Topps Market two hours ago. And how many had water in their eyes? Because of Ray's book, and especially those last poems written after he knew. The one about the doctor telling him. The one where he and Tess go down to Reno to get married before it happens and shoot some craps on the dark baize tables. 
the one called Afterglow, about the little light in the sky after the sun sets. I can just hear him, if he were still here, and this were somebody else's book, saying, Jesus, saying, this is the saddest son of a bitch of a book I've read in a long time, saying, a real long time. And the thing is, he knew we'd be saying this about his book. He could just hear us saying it, and some part of him he was glad. He really was. What crazies we writers are, our heads full of language like buckets of minnows standing in the moonlight on a dock. Ray was a good writer, a wonderful writer, and his poems are good, most of them. And they made me cry, there at my kitchen table with my head down. Me, a 67-year-old galoot, an old fool, because all old men are fools, they have to be. Shoveling big, jagged chunks of that ordinary pie into my mouth, and the water falling from my eyes onto the pie, the plate, my hand, little speckles shining in the light, brightening the colors. And I ate that goddamn pie, and it tasted good to me. Part of my vision for Take This Poem was to have it be interactive. I imagined it as a virtual bonfire poetry reading, where friends, family, local poets, and you can come together to warm our hands on some poetry. So what would that look like? Well, I'm glad you asked. You could send me a voice recording of you reading a poem to be included in a mailbag poetry reading. Commenting on the poem is welcome, but optional. Don't be shy. It's the only voice you got. What better use for it do you have than reading beautiful words out loud? Also, you could request a poem that you'd like to hear me read and ponder on the show. Or tell me what you've been thinking about these days and I could play literary matchmaker and choose a poem for you. And by the way, I am aware that I have a small but loyal following of youngsters out there and these invitations are all open to them as well. Send any of these or other ideas you have to take this poem podcast at gmail.com and join me in sharing good poems with this little community. I hope to hear from you soon.